Good morning. Last week, Lowell shared with us about ten guys. Do you remember their names? <laughs> no, nobody remembers. But there was two other guys, right? We remember who they were, right? So, uh, they were spies that were checking out the promised land. Uh, but the people sided with the ten. And they said, we don't want to go into that promised land where there's giants and, and uh, there's danger ahead. So uh, God granted their request. And so they wandered in the desert for 40 years uh, until they had all passed away. And then God said, okay, it's time again. So during that time, even though they had been disobedient, God provided their daily sustenance. He gave manna, and at times he gave them quails to eat, and so they were sustained in the desert land. They didn't have to you know, farm, they didn't have to do anything. Just every morning they had to go out and pick some of that manna and enjoy it. I'm sure uh, the wives got tired of trying to find new recipes, but uh, I think it was... Uh, uh, something that gave them nourishment, and so they uh, they kept on um, eating it. When they got to the Jordan River, it was flood time, and they crossed the Jordan River, and as they crossed the Jordan River, as the priests put their feet into the water at the Jordan River. The water stopped. And all of the two two million plus Israelites crossed the Jordan River and went to the other side. Just as Moses had opened the water, God had opened the waters for Moses, so now God opened the waters for Joshua. And they began the process of the liberation of Palestine. For hundreds of years, this land had been under the control of the evil one. And now it was time to purify the land. Through their wanderings, the Israelites had neglected uh, the, to circumcise their infants at birth. This was, had been a sign for them that had God had given to Abraham as a part of the covenant he made with them. This ritual of circumcision was then performed and they renewed their covenant with God as his chosen people. And then, before they began for battle, they observed the Passover. Now, just like the Israelites needed to be purified, to be cleansed, and to make things right with God, so we too need to make things right with God before we go out 
into battle. So sometimes we wonder, well, how did this all work out? When we look in through the Old Testament, the books of Moses, we see that there was a headcount of men over 20 years old. Those were considered to be the warriors for the people of Israel. And when we read in Numbers, chapter 26, in verse 51, it says that there were 601,730 men in Israel that were 20 years and older. None of them were over 60, except Caleb and Joshua. So, there was a huge host of Israelites that were going out into battle. So, when we think of the city of Jericho, what was it like? What was the city that they were going to conquer? What was it like? Well, around the city were two walls. Here we kind of see a picture of those two walls. It was on a tell, it was on a hill, and at the base of that hill, there was a wall. That wall was at least four or five meters high in feet, that works out to 12 to 15 feet. And then on top of that, they had built a clay wall that was six feet thick and an additional um, uh, 20 to 26 feet high. So that total wall, that first lower wall, was approximately 40 feet high. Impenetrable. And then there was a hill. And that, at the base of that next wall, which is almost the same as the first wall, that was 46 feet above where the Israelites were walking. They were looking up. They were seeing this huge, huge wall and wondering, how are we going to get through there? This wall surrounded the whole city. Now, it wasn't a really big city. It was uh, approximately the city itself on the inner wall uh, surrounded about six acres. So it was only about six acres. And if we take the outer wall, everything there, it was about nine acres altogether. So there we see the people were kind of, had come together. The Canaanites had uh, built this city that was impenetrable. They felt safe. Uh, probably if what the archaeologists say, there were probably about 200 people per acre. That makes the total population of Jericho 1,200. Maybe something like the town of Kingsville. Or actually, Ruthven. Probably would be a better illustration. So, some of the Canaanites from the country had come uh, for protection around, uh, from around Jericho. 
And so, within the walls of Jericho, at that point in time, there were probably a couple thousand people to defend this city. Again, realizing that there's potentially 600,000 Israelite men that can start to go around the city. Now, the citizens of Jericho trusted their wall. They figured nothing's going to get through. And so, um, they weren't worried at all. Sometimes we question, um, what are the walls that we trust in? What kind of walls do you trust that you've kind of put up and said, okay, that's going to keep me safe. Maybe some of you figure, ah, I've got a great job. I thought I had a great job at one point and then the company sold, we got sold and I got left without a job for 10 months. I was looking for a job. I really couldn't put my trust in my job, could I? Maybe we've got, you know, trust in our country and saying, ah, we're safe here. But we get broken into, our house gets broken into or something like that, right? So we're really not safe there either. Maybe some of you got an alarm system. You think, ah, that's going to keep the enemy out, right? That's going to keep the thieves out. I've got a double lock on my doors. That's going to help. It doesn't. They, they can still break through. I've seen places where that's happened. So we can't really depend on things to keep us safe. The battle of Jericho was a spiritual battle. It was not a physical destruction of a city, although that did happen. God had told Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, verse 16, that in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. And at that time, Abram was in Canaan. Then the next statement is very interesting. It says, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So, what was that kind of full measure? Well, in Deuteronomy 18, 9 to 14, we see that uh, it gives us a little bit of description of the religious activities of the Canaanites. You can look that up. But among the many wicked things that they did, they sacrificed their children to their gods. You know, God created life. And every life is precious. We're all made in the image of God. And God shaped us in the womb. Life begins when cells become, begin to grow in the womb. And everyone and every person is important and indispensable. Could you imagine 
throwing your infant child into a fire to please your God so that he would guarantee you good crops and lots of good money? We think that's detestable. And that's why God had to cleanse the land of Palestine. This is the way the people were living. They were very wicked. Personal pleasure and gain was more important than purity and loving kindness. We think that's terrible. But you know, the same thing is happening today. Today, babies are being killed by the thousands as people try to get rid of children because, oh, they're inconvenient or it was an accident. Or it might hamper their relationships or it might stop them in getting another more fulfilling job in the future. How sad. They want to be free to be selfish and not to have a heart for other people. No, our society today is no different than the Canaanites in Joshua's day. Palestine was like in the days of Noah and the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Generation after generation, people's hearts were filled with greed, hatred, desire for power, and materialism. There's only three solutions that I can think of for a society like that. One, the society will self-destruct. It'll get so bad that it just destroys itself. And the second one would be removal of that society by another people group. Okay? Wars, destruction, annihilation. And many, many people groups that we had in the time of Caleb, Joshua, are gone today. They don't exist. They don't exist because they had no moral substance. Also, we see, too, that there's a third possibility. And that is that they are transformed. They were transformed by the power of God. Those are the three Options that I can think of. And you know, although the people of Jericho were afraid of God, they didn't fear God. They didn't turn their hearts to God and say, God, we know you're powerful. What can we do to change? That didn't happen. In fact, 
You know, the Israelites marched around that city 13 times. God was patient. You know, he could have knocked the walls down the first time they walked around that city. But he didn't. He gave them 13 times to walk out of that city and to repent. I think that is an illustration of God's patience with people. God destroyed the city of Jericho because of their sin, their rebellion, their wickedness. It wasn't an ethnic cleansing. It was a spiritual cleansing of God's holy land. You know, we read about Rahab. She had, had uh, hid the spies, a couple spies that had come to check out the city a few uh, weeks earlier. And she was spared because of that kindness. But you know what her occupation was? She was a prostitute. Kind of just goes to show you what kind of society there was there. When we look in the scriptures, we see that right from the very beginning, God laid out the punishment for disobedience. What did he tell Adam and Eve? The day that you eat from the fruit, the day that you disobey, you will surely die. And so if any of us are disobedient, really, we have no right to keep on living. We will die. Unless. Unless. We repent and come to Christ only the blood of Christ will save us and get us into heaven. Although they knew and had seen the mighty works of the God of the Israelites, they refused to obey and follow him. And you know, there's a lot of good people in our society. There's a lot of good people around us. But you know, unless... We repent. Unless we get to that point where we, we tell God, God, I am a sinner. I've disobeyed you. I want to confess that. We will never, never have that opportunity to go to heaven. Now, God could have knocked the walls over. But he gave him seven days to repent. Every day, for seven days, the soldiers marched around Jericho. Nothing happened for 13 trips around that city of about nine acres. How many of you be willing to do that? It seems like, God, what am I doing this for? 
I'm walking around this city and nothing's happening. Maybe some of us feel that way. You know, God, I've been praying for months, for years, for this situation in my life to change and nothing's happening. Is that the way we feel sometimes? Well, it's, it's a great illustration. You know, God, it's not that he's all-powerful. He is all-powerful. And it's not that he doesn't want things to change. He wants everyone to come to repentance. But in this case, there were seven days of silent anticipation. There were seven days of silent contemplation. There were seven days of obedient silence. All that was happening is that the the priests, seven priests in front of the battle line were blowing their shofar, their, their horns, and I suspect that those were hymns of praise to God as they walked around the city day by day. And the soldiers marched in time to the trumpet sound. The example here of Jericho is a wonderful illustration, a wonderful lesson for us today. There's times when we feel that there, we're facing enormous walls that are impossible to break down by our human strength. But if we put our faith in God and follow his commands, even when they seem foolish to us, God will perform great and awesome deeds, as it says in Deuteronomy 4, verse 34. And he will give us the victory. I read a very exciting uh, story about waiting on God this week from one of our EMC associate missionaries in Thailand. He wrote about one of his Thai uh, co-workers Ko Kya Lin and I want to read you this what he wrote the story uh, what Ko Kya Lin shared he said my wife and I have been in Bang Chalon now Bang Chalon is just a small town outside of the capital city of, of Bangkok And while we clearly felt God's leading to serve there, I often faced many feelings of inadequacy. I had never planted a church before. In fact, I had barely finished two years of Bible college. I don't play guitar, so I couldn't even use music as a way to draw people in. 
There was so many gifts that I lacked. So much that I couldn't do. God showed me one thing that there was I could do. I learned this from the book of Nehemiah. I see I saw that Nehemiah has spent a lot of time praying in prayer before he ever built anything. I thought to myself, that's something I can do. I can pray. So I began to do this. We, my wife and I, would rise early at four in the morning so we could stand on a high bridge and see everyone going off to their jobs. We prayed for over each person that we saw. And then we would walk the streets of Bang Cholong, praying for opportunities to meet people, to build relationships and share the gospel. As we walked and prayed, we met so many Burmese factory workers, curious as to what we were doing. We formed so many new friendships in the community and had many opportunities to share about Jesus. My wife and I had prayed between six and eight hours a day for three months and nothing happened. How would you feel at that point? Give up? Maybe some of us would. During the whole time, no one showed up and no one showed any interest in the church. Suddenly, one day, people began to come. More and more came to us to worship and to hear about Jesus. And somehow, God formed a new church, birthed out of our prayers. We still continue with our prayer walks, meeting new people on the street every day. We take time to get to know them, offering them help to find a job or a place to live. We serve in any way we can, doing interpretation from Thai to Burmese at a local hospital or whatever. In so many ways, I still feel like I'm not doing enough. But now I see that it's not about what we can do, but about what God can do. When we just talk to him. And listen and obey his voice. So, what are your walls this morning that you want to have broken down? You know, several weeks we spoke, a week ago, we spoke about using your your gifts, your spiritual gifts. And I'm wondering if some of you have been able to share blessings with others. With the gifts that God's entrusted to you. We need to begin using what God's given to us to break down walls in society. The question is, are we walking around the walls? The things that we see need transformation in our society. The walls that have been built up in our families or the walls that friends have that need some kind of transformation.
What are we doing about it? You know, it's interesting when we read this passage in Joshua 6. God gave the assurance to Joshua that he had already defeated the enemy. If we look at Joshua 6 verse 2, it says, uh, The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given. That's a past. Grammatically, that's a past tense verb. I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its valiant warriors. God's plan seemed pretty crazy. Just march around the city. March around the city. Thirteen times. And then give a big shout. And the walls came down. You know, God is willing to use anyone. He's willing to save anyone. And if we follow up in this story, we see that the prostitute Rahab was spared. The one who we might despise and avoid was saved. Through her grandson, she married an Israeli. And through her grandson, Boaz, who became the husband of Ruth and the grandfather of David, the nation of Israel had one of their greatest kings. God wants to use you too. Who knows what the future will hold for us? Only God knows that. So what are the battles that you're fighting today? You know, we have a community here, other believers, who are willing to share with you in that battle. To pray together with you. To struggle with you. We just need to maybe open up a bit sometimes and find those individuals who will struggle with us, who will march with us around those walls. God wants to bring the victory to you. He already has defeated the enemy. So, let's give him glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you that you have defeated the enemy. And Lord, there are situations in our lives that that we struggle with. And sometimes we get impatient with them. I pray, Lord, that you will defeat the enemy. The enemy that is, is seeking to destroy us. Just as he destroyed the land of the Canaanites with their wickedness. But you brought life and purity. You brought joy and victory. 
And we're grateful for that. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are there for us. And it doesn't matter who we are. You can use us. You will use what you've entrusted to us as good stewards. And we pray that we will see the victory 